Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mark Molina, CEO of Molina Leadership uh, Solutions. We are continuing on this day with our Women in Leadership series, our year-long project. Uh, today we have with us Tiffany Edwards. She is the Intergovernmental Manager for LTD. I hope I said that correctly. And uh, I'm going to begin by reading her bio. She has given, provided an extensive bio and when I read her bio, honestly, my heart began to race. I was so excited. And I want to share this complete bio because it is significant to the theme of women in leadership, the developmental journey, as well as the de developmental process. Tiffany Edwards brings 25 years of experience in marketing, communications, public relations, and government affairs to her current role as intergovernmental relations manager with Lane Transit District. She serves as a member of the most recent, recent chair of the City of Eugene's Planning Commission, member of Envision Eugene Technical Advisory Committee, or ETAC, Historical Review Board, Active Transportation Committee, a founding board member of Better Housing Together, former board member of Better Eugene Springfield Transportation, or BEST, and a number of other advisory committees and work groups related to land use, housing, and transportation. Tiffany spent nearly a decade working in politics at the state level and prior to her role with LTD, held a position as Director of Business Advocacy with the Eugene Chamber, where she administered the Leadership Eugene Program. Tiffany moved to Eugene in 2012 from her hometown of Bend, Oregon. After receiving her bachelor's degree in communication advertising from Washington State University, she spent the first part of her career in Seattle, Washington. She worked in advertising account management with several large advertising agencies with media companies, including J. Walter Thompson and the Seattle Times. Then in 2003, she decided to return to Bend where she opened a small advertising marketing firm, Pinpoint. Her agency's focus was on helping local businesses grow and thrive in Central Oregon's booming economy and her business grew rapidly. While in Bend, she was a member of the Bend Chamber of Commerce and its Young Professional Network, Tiffany also served on numerous nonprofit boards and marketing committees, and her public service and professional leadership earned her the Achieved Under 40 Award from Cascade Business News in 2006. Tiffany first became, became involved in politics and public policy by earning an appointment by Governor Kulingoski to the Task Force on Equality in Legislative Political Races. Wait quality in 2006 and later through her agency work on several county and legislative political races. I find this one of the most intriguing pieces of her bio. Then in 2008 she helped in the efforts to elect her mom Chris Tuffler to the state senate and served as her chief of staff from 2009 to 2012. I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> it was in Salem where she met her husband Chris who was also serving in the senate at the time. By 2012, she made the decision to relocate to Eugene, where she took a temporary hiatus from politics, only to return in 2014 to serve as Chief of Staff to Senator Chris Edwards of Eugene and continue through the transition of Senator James Manning to the District 7 Senate seat in 2017. Her current role with LTD allows her to engage at every level of government, made more effective by the years she spent learning and understanding the political landscape developing relationships, and sharpening her leadership skills. Tiffany now proudly calls Eugene home while she enjoys many of, many of what it has to offer. 
finds her greatest joy in spending time with her husband and her two stepchildren, Simon 18 and Anna 11. Tiffany Edwards, welcome. Thank, Thank you. you here. Thank you for being willing to participate. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, and I'm really happy to be here, Mark. And I really was honored by uh, your your ask to to come and share uh, a little bit about myself today, and um, really, really happy to be here. Now, first question I like to ask everyone who comes on the to be interviewed and participate in this process: tell us something about you that is not on your bio. <laughs> uh, I know there's a lot there. Um, and, and I, I'm, I'm glad that you, you found it all as interesting as you did to read the whole thing. Because I normally tell people, feel free, cut it back. It doesn't all need to be there. Um, but what, what's not on there is uh, a little bit about myself that most people are surprised by. That I, I actually grew up um, it, with a lot of art and music in my in my environment. Um, I, I played a lot of instruments growing up. I was I was kind of forced to play the piano, but I actually learned to to love it after a while. And I played several musical instruments. I sang. I um, and then as a as a thirty something, I decided to uh, get into hip hop dancing. And <laughs> so I did that for a couple of years. So people are actually kind of surprised when they hear that piece of me. Um, and I haven't done a lot of those things for a long time, but it's still definitely a part of who I am. So. Well, thank you for sharing. That's very exciting. It takes a lot of skill, discipline, and practice to play not just one uh, musical instrument, but several musical instruments. Yeah. And what kind of music do you like to sing? Or did you? Like uh, well, mostly in the shower kind of music, because one of the things about me that I, I think it's it's interesting to people that while I really enjoy doing these things, they're very much for me. And I think that that a, a lot of people are like that, where they like to enjoy something that they like to do. But when it becomes something that they either have to do for a living or in front of people, it kind of takes the the joy out of it for them. So I don't actually do a lot of singing uh, other than maybe in the shower and in the car, but um, you know, just kind of anything. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, pretty mainstream when it comes to my musical taste, uh, pretty top 40, uh, you know, the stuff that the stuff that most people are, are, uh, are familiar with at least. So nothing, nothing too crazy. And, the, and of the musical instruments you play, which one's your favorite? I definitely, well, so I, I played the piano, uh, I played the saxophone, the clarinet, and then I kind of dabbled in little things like the, the harmonica and things like that. I tried to learn the, the guitar. I would love to still tackle that because I just love the sound of a guitar by itself. But I think the piano is the thing that I could just go on for hours. And I, I did a lot of, I, I made up songs and made up music. And I did a lot of that as a kid. And I continue to really enjoy to just sort of play on the piano um, in that sense. So I would say the piano probably. I have another silly question for you. What's your favorite hip hop song to dance to? Oh gosh. Well, I'm trying to remember the, the one that I did a few years back that I, it was just, it was so much fun. It was actually a Michael Jackson song. We did a whole the school of music that I, that I attended, this was back in Bend. Um, and I was in the adult hip hop group. Uh, the whole school did a tribute to Michael Jackson. And so all of us did different songs. Then we did this big 
you know, big, big finale at the end with everybody. And it was just really fun. That, that classic stuff that, you know, I think we did, um, black and white was one of those, the things and people did the thriller, they did the thriller dance. It, it was super fun. I like the stuff that people are familiar with because I think the audience really gets into it when, you know, you have that kind of classic, everyone knows beat it and, and all those songs. So it was really fun. That's really good to hear. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, ladies and gentlemen, I have sent Tiffany some questions to get the conversation going, uh, but most of the questions were that's going to just come fluid based on her bio. But first things first, you live in Duckland. You're from Duckland. Why did you go to Washington State? That's a really good question. And it, if I have to be completely honest, I would say that 90% of that decision was related to the boyfriend at the time, my high school boyfriend. He was from Eastern Oregon. His parents had both gone there. We were together when we made the decision to, to go to college. And so it was kind of like, but I will say that um, I did know early on that I was very interested in the field of communications. And I did research that and I did apply to multiple schools. And I, I proudly got into all the schools that I applied for, including Pepperdine and uh, the University of Washington. And so communications was really um was really a big part of that decision. And because Washington State actually had the second top communications program in the, in the country wow. with the Edward R. Murrow School of Communications, it was actually, a, it, it worked out well for me. So I never even for a second thought to go to stay home and stay, go to an Oregon school. Um, but they, I really was kind of um, having to decide between Colorado was was my second choice, um, Boulder, and then um, University of or Washington State University. So I'm a Coug, and that was kind of how it happened. <laughs> You're forgiven. <laughs> so I have a, I have a question, e Edward R. Morrow. Mm -hmm. Now, what was? He, don't we have a federal building named after him? Yes, yes. He uh, he was a pretty famous broadcaster. I want to say during Second World War. I could be wrong. I, I should know this, but uh, he was a pretty fam famous broadcaster, and he really kind of pioneered the industry. And um, so, really, the communication school was top notch, and they attracted a lot of top talent. And I'm actually, it's interesting uh, that I've, I've over the years um, been acquainted with or befriended local um broadcast uh you know broadcast personalities and a lot of them especially here on the east or on the west coast a lot of them came from washington state so i'm actually um they continue to do some really great work in that field and um i while i didn't go into broadcasting uh i certainly benefited from the the top tier um school of communications there now, as your interest in broadcasting or communications developed, did that come because of the, the musical background, the singing? Did you see that in your parents? How was that birthed and nurtured within you? Yeah, that's a great question. I think ideally what happened was having the background that I did in art and music, but also really kind of having this sense. I mean, I, my, my mom was a business person and she was a great mentor and she was a very, um, she was very grounded. And, you know, uh, I, I think that the decision for me to study advertising as part and communications as part of my passion really came from the fact that I, I, I just didn't feel like 
becoming an artist or a musician was a great way for me to make a living. I mean, I think that just was ingrained in me early on. It was like, yeah, that's fun for a hobby, but you got to have a real job. And so for me, the idea of, you know, and I was a child of the eighties. And so for folks that are familiar with the, the show, who's the boss, you know, Tony Danza and Alyssa Milano and, I wanted to be Angela Bauer and she was the matriarch of that show. And she was an ad executive in New York city. And I just, I idolized her, her career because I thought, you know, she gets to run this ad agency and, and, and be really creative, but gosh, she, you know, she must do well because she lives in this great house in Connecticut. And uh, so I, I did, I kind of, that was really what inspired me to really take my, my talents and passions and want to professionalize them and, and, and so that was the path that I chose and why, because I, I really wanted to, you know, I really didn't want to be a starving artist or, and I don't know that I was good enough to, to do well as an artist, but I thought that, you know, being a professional was something that I could do. When you were in middle school or high school, did you do, besides music, did you do drama? Did you do debate? Did you do any of those activities? I, you know, I didn't, um, I did a little bit of maybe, I mean, I think there was maybe in second grade, a play that the entire second grade did. And, um, I vaguely remember playing a dinosaur at some point, but I just, um, I was pretty shy. I think that for, you know, I, I, I just didn't, I wasn't comfortable with being really this in the spotlight and, um, I'm not, I'm still really not comfortable with being, you know, in the spotlight. I'm, I get a lot of social anxiety when it comes to those things. And so I think that, um, it, I never developed a comfort level. Uh, so I didn't, but I, I was very, uh, I loved to just be creative and paint and draw and, um, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So very, very, um, I don't know. I, I was a lot more uh, introverted when it com- came to that kind of stuff. So you go to Washington State. What part of Washington State? What town is that in again, Wazoo? Holman. Holman, which Holman. is a college town, and there's nobody but college kids around. And then seven miles away is the University of Idaho, which is another major college town. So between the two schools, there's just, you know, 50,000 plus kids. Just, you know, it was odd to see someone over 25. You thought, what are they doing here? Because you just never saw that. But um, it, it is in the middle of nowhere, for sure. Yeah, I've, I've uh, been there. My wife's family's from there. So I've been to the Tri-County areas a few times. Yeah. And you're like, man, there's nothing out here but that college. Wheat fields, yeah. <laughs> so you graduated with a BA. And what, did you, I don't remember from the bio. Did you stay and get your master's as well? No, I, I, you know, at the time I thought that I was going to go to art school. That was the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a tragic thing happen with my portfolio. I left it in a car. Uh, I was on an interview and they had come to, to, to see it was for, it was for a job that they, you know, they had someone come from outside the area to come and interview candidates. And so I don't really remember what happened, but I just remember getting in a rental car with the person who was uh, was spending the day with me. It was basically this extensive interview. And she, um, I left my portfolio in the rental car and she got on the plane. And when we tried to track it down, like no one could find it. So it was one of those things where back then nothing was digitized. You know, this was in like 
96. And so it was heartbreaking for me. And I thought, well, I'm just going to have to recreate or take new pictures. So a lot of it. So my portfolio consisted of uh, slides that were photos that were taken of all of this art that I had done. And over the years I had given it away or maybe sold some or whatnot. And so it just wasn't something that I had easy access to re, re you know, reproducing. And I thought, you know what, it's fine. I'm just going to create more stuff. And, and, you know, long story short, I just ended up going down the account management track and really kind of, um, I never really got into the art component. I mean, I, I thought I might be an art or creative director and, um, I ended up having the opportunity to play with that later, but at the time I just, I didn't ever pursue an educational, um, you know, next step because of that. So that was a, that was a heartbreaking moment, but it actually worked out well for, for me. So, well, that's good. Let's um, take a trip down memory lane. And how did you get from Pullman to Seattle? What was going on? Uh, well, you know, Pullman being the other Washington school besides University of Washington, of course, um, much like Oregon, we've got the OSU and U of O rivalry and everything. And um, every, it seemed like everybody that came, that, that attended Washington state tended to, to be from the metropolitan areas. So there were, there were a lot of folks from Tri-Cities areas, but a lot of my friends lived in Seattle and were from Seattle. And I think um, I did a short internship in Portland. So I spent, you know, half a half a year there, but then I just think that I was really anxious to get to a big city. I wanted to uh, I had friends there. My dad was from there. So I knew the, the, the area and, um, I, Seattle was just, I, I wanted to be in a big city, but not too far from home. Mm-hmm. So Seattle was, was kind of where I chose to, to spend some time. So. So did you have employment when you left, uh, Pullman before you got to Seattle or did you just pack up and say, let's go? No, I did. I it was interesting. I, Right out of school, I did an internship. I worked for an ad agency in um, Portland and I had a part-time job at the same time with a a retail store. And I knew that I wanted to get up to Seattle and get into, you know, advertising. I wanted to work for an ad agency or something like that. And so the retail store that I worked for at the time was able to transfer me to, it was actually Bellevue, although I lived in Seattle, but they had an opening for a management position. And so I just transferred with that company, which wasn't really in my field, but it was just, you know, you're early in college and you're early out of college and you're still kind of working your way into your field. And um, that was a great opportunity. So I just relocated uh, with that, with that company. And then um, shortly after that, I, I started working at the Seattle times. And so that was my entrance into the, the world of advertising and media and, and everything else was a great, great, uh, you know, it was a great first first job to land out of college uh, in, in your field, so. You know, I remember the title Seattle Times. It, there was the notoriety of that name. What was it like for you at such a young age to go to a big city? Yes, your father's there, but you hadn't lived there. You yeah. with this other company, what was, what a, what attracted you to Seattle Times? Was it just to be an account manager? What was the intrigue? Well, 
That's a good question. I think they were going through a major uh, reorganization with the advertising department. And so, and advertising represented both the Seattle Times and the Post Intelligencer. So the PI and the Times were sold as, as joint uh, products. And so even though we were housed in the Seattle Times building, and the PI was down kind of on the waterfront there in Elliott Bay, um, we, you know, we, we interacted with both. I think, I guess it was just, it was, to me, it was a huge opportunity. I mean, I was one of less than a dozen people that they hired as um, these account specialists that were, that were, were, we were tasked with um, helping to support the outside salespeople who were out in the field. And gosh, back then everything was so still on paper. And so all the layouts and, and I, I worked in the automotive uh, department. So my sales rep was out there and she was out talking with the car dealerships all day. And then she would have all these changes to send back to me on their ads. And I spent my days just, you know, doing all of those layouts and then submitting those to our art department. And, um, and, and then it kind of expanded from there. And then I was promoted and I became a salesperson and I handled, um, you know, the travel and national accounts. So they were mostly just by phone, but um, it was just, it was like the big, you know, it was, it was a, I had arrived working for the Seattle times and it was a really big opportunity. Um, I ended up leaving only because, and this, this, this was such a, I'm glad that I did, you know, and I, I don't like to look back at things and think I have regrets, but, um, the dot-com boom had boomed and that was very alluring to me. And I had a friends that were, you know, getting into this industry and it was just, it was strange because people were paid crazy amounts of money to play ping pong all day. I mean, not literally all day, but it was such a different world. I wanted to be part of it. I was in my early twenties, um, well, maybe mid twenties by then, but I just, I, I was, I was young and, and I just really wanted to be part of that energy that was happening with the dot coms. And that was a very volatile um, industry. And so you were lucky to, to, to stay somewhere for a year before the company folded. And so it was sort of like, and there was a group of us that kind of bounced around like, well, they just closed their doors. So everyone's moving over to this one. And that happened um, for, with, with a kind of small group of folks. And, and it was very incestuous. Everybody knew everybody in the dot-com world and um, you could definitely find another job because you knew so many people and you know, someone would be, get a job over here and someone would get a job over there. So you just, you didn't worry about it. You did not worry about the risk. And it was a completely different, um, mindset having, uh, worked in that, not only that industry, but in that, in those times where, you know, generations prior would say, oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine having 10 jobs before I was 40 years old. And I think my generation is kind of like, ha has looked at it as this is the way you move ahead. You, you know, if you stay in one place for too long, you just get stuck. And so it was normal, I think, to just, okay, I'm ready for the next thing. I'm ready for the new challenges. And, um, I think that it was pretty typical uh, in that industry. Um, there's certainly not all industries are like that today, but um, I just think that innovation happens so much more easily when you can get, get fresh faces and fresh perspectives. And so um, I, that was a really long answer to your question, but um, 
that you, <laughs> there you have it. It's a great answer because it it's explains, you mentioned the energy and my heart rate started to pick up again, like it did when I read your bio. And it's, it, you know, it's indicative of your mindset and who you are as a leader, as a woman in leadership. This is what this, this program is about. When I got out of the army, I'd been in the army from 19 to 31. And then I worked for a company for five years and I was speaking to a businessman I know talking about generational differences. And I told him, I would like to try some things, but I'm scared. And we talked a little bit about my upbringing and he said, Mark, I think you just need to give yourself permission to fail. You need to try a few things, fail at a few things and discover more about who you really are and what is important to you. And he was a successful businessman at the time, very accomplished. He And he shared with me that all the things he had failed at. And he said, you just have to be okay with failure so that you can find more of yourself. So that's intriguing to hear you say, older generations would have absolutely 100% say, don't you do it, don't run around, because that was gonna be my next question to you, was what did your parents say to you as you were endeavoring and striving to reach and grow? You know, my mom is a CPA and still, and she, um, you know, when I say that it automatically generates like, okay, I know the type, right? It's like numbers person, very black and white. She is a hundred percent that way. Um, my dad was the complete polar opposite. I mean, he's the guy that was, he has, I want to say two or three master's degrees and he's well-educated and he grew up pretty affluent family. And then when he became a grown up, he just didn't want to grow up. He he's, he's, he's the very creative minded. I mean, he's, he's an inventor. I mean, he does all these really creative things, but he didn't, he never found his, his place in the business world. And um, he was fortunate to come into an inheritance when he was about 40 and he has never sat around a day in his life. He is the busiest person I know, but he doesn't uh, work for a living. He just does things all day. And so I think that my parents have always been super supportive. And I think that they recognize that people are on the opposite ends of the spectrum and that, you know, got my mom over here, my dad over here. And I think that they've They've both just been, and, and I'm, I should say my parents were divorced when I was 10 and I have a stepmom who's been around almost as long as, as that. So, I mean, she, I met her when I was 10 and, um, and she was a nurse, um, by career, but it was, I feel like my family was hugely supported and still is because I think, and my sister, I have a sister who is a pure entrepreneur and, um, she's, she's an impressive person, but I think that, um, my family's always been really supportive of just letting us be who we are and, and um, you know, exploring and failing. And we embrace the failure because uh, it's a huge part of, of moving forward and finding, um, you know, just finding. I think that my parents have always said to me, we just want you to be happy. And I've always taken that to heart because there's, there, you know, life's too short not to, to, to be able to be happy. How old were you when you got to Seattle? So I want to say 21, maybe 20, early 22. As we, as we began to transition the conversation back, leading you back home to Bend, what was the time frame from your arrival to the reality is maybe it's time to go home and try some other things? 
So um, let's see. So I moved to, so I was 22. I think that I came back to Bend when I was 29. Well, you know what? I, I celebrated my 30th birthday there um, pretty early on. So, you know, it was maybe not quite a decade in Seattle. Um, the impetus, I think, for me was... I had, you know, I had the privilege of gaining all of this knowledge. And, and after the short stint with the dot-coms, that was maybe a two-year thing. And then I, I moved into a little bit more stable industry. And so I worked for um, two large ad agencies. Um, and I did a lot. I had the opportunity to work with some big clients and, and I did account management. Um, and when I worked at the Seattle Times, because I sold media, I actually knew how to position uh, a newspaper media and the online assets against, you know, radio and TV. So I knew enough about all of the pieces of media and I came home to bend. I, I was always visiting. I was always coming home. It was very easy to get there. It was a, you know, six hour drive. And uh, I just loved what Bend was becoming. It was the place that I never thought I would ever want to come back to. Because when we moved there in 1976, uh, there were 11,000 people or maybe maybe like 14. I, I can't really remember, but I just remember it was a small town. And I grew up in, in Bend and it just wasn't a, the type of community that I thought I would ever want to come back to. And during that time leading up to 2003, when I did, so much was happening that was really exciting. And all of my friends started moving back for all of these great opportunities that were happening. And I just, I, I saw, I saw opportunity. I saw that, gosh, my skill set that I have had the opportunity to, 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 you know, to strengthen in communications and advertising was really, um, was, was really welcomed when I got to Bend. And there were a lot of small businesses that were, um, that were in need of, of somebody that could kind of steer them in the right direction when it came to promoting their, their businesses. And they just didn't really know, they were small, they didn't have the resources to hire this huge agency, but they could use a person that could help them make those decisions. Um, and because they were relying on their sales reps and their sales reps have one job and that's to sell the media that they represent. And so um, it, my, when I, when I came back to Bend and I started my business, it was very organic. It started out with knowing a few people um, that wanted some help in making decisions about their, their business at promotion and marketing. And I was able to step in and do that. And then it, it just blossomed into a full, full blown uh, business. And so it, it really was complete happenstance as, as I, you know, it wasn't planned that way, but it worked out. And um, I just, I, it, Bend was the right place at the right time for me. And the marketing environment was very new and very uh, manageable because, you know, Central Oregon is a very geographically locked place. Mm -hmm. So when you are a business in Bend or, you know, just outside the area, it is very reasonable for you to spend money in the media, on TV, on radio, on something that doesn't that doesn't break the bank. You can actually be it's very affordable for a business to promote themselves in that local community with mass media. 
some of, you know, coming from Seattle, only the big, big advertisers could afford the newspaper. So it was actually a really exciting opportunity for me because I thought I, that people are actively promoting their business and there's TV spots and radio spots and, and newspaper ads running for small businesses. And um, it was, it was the, the market dynamics really worked out for the business that I had created, which was very specifically directed at small businesses that wanted to promote themselves locally you know, in the, in the mass media. So, um, yeah. So you're 21, you get to Seattle, you're about 29. Looking back, how were you different? Can you discernibly tell how you were different? I, I was, I was naive and fearless. I was like, I think that it was in a good way because as I look back now, I wonder if I would have had the, um, just the audacity to try to start a business and, um, be a, be a business leader at my age in this community where, um, I knew a lot of people obviously having been there. My mom was in elected office. I think at the time she was on the city council, but you know, everybody knew my family and my mom. And, um, so it opened a lot of doors for me, but I think that, um, I think that I, two things, I think that I, my identity was tied to, to my mom in a, in a way that it's not now. I don't even, people don't know that my last name here, <laughs> that my last name used to be Telfer because in Bend, they know me as Tiffany Telfer in Eugene. They wouldn't even know who that is. So I've been able to to have my own identity. And so I'm very different in that sense in that I'm, I'm kind of comfortable in my own skin as my own person. Um, but I, I definitely looking back what I didn't know, I didn't know how to, I didn't know to fear it. So I hadn't failed so much. <laughs> I mean, not, not that I've not, you know, I mean, I like failure. I think failure is important, but, um, I, uh, I think that I, I looked at the world differently and I, it was all very much, um, I can do anything. I, I felt that way. I feel less that way now, but not because I don't really feel like I can do anything, but more because I don't want to just do anything. I, I actually don't want to, I don't, I wouldn't want to go back and start another ad agency. I've been there, done that. I know why I didn't do that. And so, you know, why I wouldn't do it again, I know now. So, um, I don't know, just a lot of experience, a lot of mistakes made, a lot of self-correction. Um, bigger, another bigger component is I have a family now. And so when you're making decisions, when it's just you, um, gosh, you can think about going anywhere, being anything, and you don't have these um, things that are kind of grounding you it's it, now my family is such a huge priority that if something were to um, pre present itself as an opportunity, I'd be like, well, I don't know that I could move to DC right now. I have a family here in Eugene and I have, so those types of things uh, exist for me now that didn't exist when I was in my late twenties, early twenties. Yeah. Not knowing what you didn't know. So you didn't have to fear it. That's something similar. My wife said yesterday in her interview that you didn't know what you didn't know. And you just, so you go for it. Yeah. 
what's your parents, what's your family think about you when you came back? Did you have conversations? Did they say, Tiffany, you've just grown so much, you're so whatever the case may have been? Did you have those kind of conversations with either family or friends? Oh, yeah. My family was a huge piece. I mean, I'm really close with my family, um, partly because I live so close and so I get to see them a lot, but also because, um, you know, I, I did. I did. I worked in my, so when, when I started my ad agency, I didn't have an office. And so my mom let me use one of the offices in her CPA building. And so I had my office in there and, um, I did for a short time. I went and got my own office after a while. I kind of fled the, the nest, but, uh, so she was, she was really involved in my business. My sister then moved back from so also My sister has had this pattern of following me. So she followed me to Washington state she was at U of O. She followed me to Washington State. Then she followed me to Seattle and uh, followed me to Bend to, when we moved home, opened up her own business in Bend. She's still there and she's, you know, she's working on like business number three and she's she's doing amazing. But um, I like to joke that, you know, she just follows me. But actually, I think that, um, you know, she just wants to be with her family. So um, so, so my parents were very, very supportive, very involved. My dad would pop in, like I mentioned, my dad didn't have a real job. So my dad would show up at my office and come sit down and I'd have to remind him that I have a, a job and clients and things like that. But, uh, so we've just always been really close and they've always been super, super supportive. They love the idea of me coming home. And, um, I left again after when, when the, Mar when, uh, really at the onset of the really big recession that we had late 2007 mm -hmm. things were just not good i had clients that had literally skipped town and shut their doors and fled the country i'm not kidding that actually happened and it was a rough time for small businesses so i i sold off a few clients and made sure that they were taken care of and then i said you know I got this huge network of people in Seattle. I'm going to go back and just try to make some good money, work up there for, you know, a year or so, and then maybe come back and, and try this again. And I did that. I went up to Seattle and I worked in some big, you know, I did some contracting, uh, marketing director and jobs and things like that. And, uh, when I did finally come back and I, cause I was back and forth. I, I, then I, then I wanted to be in Seattle. I was like, okay, Seattle's my home. I want to be here. I'm going to set up my roots here. And then, and you know, I, we can get to this, but then that's when my mom, um, you know, wanted me to come back and work for her. And so I, I said no four times. I was like, no, no, I'm staying in Seattle. I'm not coming home to Bend. And so when I finally did, it was absolutely my family that was like, yay. <laughs> to have me home <laughs> so before we get to the story with your mom what is the 40 under 40 award so the 40 under 40 award and so the cascade business news which was sort of like our you know central oregon has a business newspaper um sort of like the portland business journal does a similar thing um they had, I think they were kind of trying to copy uh, the Portland Business Journal's model where they recognize 40 individuals under the age of 40, so 40 under 40, that they uh, see as leaders or, or you know, what have you. 
And they, this was their very, their, this was their inaugural year to have this program and they've been doing it every year since. And I was one of those uh, lucky recipients of the 40 under 40 award along with my business partner at the time and a few other folks I, I know. And it's funny cause I actually found the, the article. Uh, I mean, this was, you know, 15 years ago, 16 years ago. And uh, I found the article last week and I was looking at the photos of all the people and I thought, oh my gosh, I had no idea that this, I, I didn't know this person at the time and now I do. And I, I recognize that there's a, a number of us that, that um, were awarded that year. Um, so, you know, it's just it a little, little trophy that you got. And <laughs> it was nice. It was, it was, uh, it was very, I was very honored to be recognized uh, at that time. So the recession hits, the housing market crash. That's what we're. T that's that's uh, what caused that. You sold off some of your clients. People fled the area. You're going. You decide to go back to Seattle to try to rebuild a career where there's a lot larger market. You're coming back and forth. Your mom asks you to come to work for her four times. You say no. What happened? How she get you back? Well, I think part of why I had no, I was so, I was the furthest from the political landscape that you could be. I mean, the only reason that I even ever got involved in politics, obviously my mom, I, I mentioned she was a city councilor at the time. I had helped with her race because as having an ad agency, I bought all of her media and I helped develop her messaging and develop her logo and all of those things. But I knew nothing about politics. I was like, I can help you with the promotion and help uh, with a campaign. Um, and I had brought on a business partner who was very political and he was really, um, he was actually we, through him. We ran our, my agency ran a couple of different legislative races but I just had no, I, I wasn't even, I was so apolitical. Um, I'll probably admit I probably hadn't even ever voted at that time in my career. And um, when my mom then ran for the state Senate, I was actually in Seattle at the time and I helped out with her campaign from there. And when she, um, when she got to Salem, she said, I need someone that I can trust. I need somebody who can communicate and that, the work is actually exactly what you do. It's constituent cases. It's interacting with, with my, with my peers. It's um, so the politics part of it, that's just like over here, but the, the, the work itself requires exactly the same type of skill set that you have. And I think that um, it was very common for family members to work for other family members um, that were in the legislature. It's actually it's illegal to be a, a public employee, otherwise nepotism, but the legislature has a very specific carve out that allows for members to employ their spouse or their child or somebody else like that because of the nature of how, um, how personal it really is. And you wanna be able to trust your staff person um, and just having kind of interns in and out and you know people moving offices, it just, it is, it was really important for her. And so I, um, I agreed to come back and work in district. So I was, I was good with coming back to Bend. I had, I, had, um, I had come to realize that that's what I wanted to do, but I had no interest in going to Salem. 
not at all. I said, I will work in district and I will help with constituent cases. I'll do newsletters. I'll do your social media, all of those things. But I want nothing to do with Salem when you're in legislative session. I just, that, that whole world. And I, I, so I came back with that, with that agreement. And then when the, there was a short session, so we, we have, annu- they have annual sessions, the February short session, which is only a month long, I said, okay, we'll go to Salem. Yeah, you have to live there for the for the month. So we uh, we rented a place together. I, I you know I, I lived with my mom. I was her employee. She was my boss. She was my roommate. Uh, she was my mom, and it was so much fun. I just I just I got totally suckered in, and I really um, I really enjoyed the energy and. Uh, the drama, I can't, was definitely, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much behind the scenes happening. This is so interesting. And I uh, met, made lots of friends and it just became kind of a fun place. Mm-hmm. So I stuck with it until she, she left. And I, um, I looked forward to session every two years. We had the, um, we had the long session, which really truly meant we had to relocate. We rented a place whether it was an apartment or something like that. Um, and I had to be away from my family for six months, essentially. Um, there were times you'd go home on the weekend, but not always because there's too much work to be done on the weekends as well. So um, that really is how it happened. And then I, you know, then I really became, I'm still, I would say I love the politics. I'm, I'm intrigued by it. I don't know that it's, um, I'm not the most, strategic person in the room, but I love when I'm in the room with someone else that is, because I love the way their mind thinks. Um, I think you pick it up over the years. Um, policy is super wonky for me. I'm not an attorney. And so trying to read a bill is just, I need, I need a translator. So, um, but I, I really have, have come to enjoy politics and, um, that side of it. So, it was a good fit for me. So you are, how much time did you spend as your mother's chief of staff? Three and a half years. Um, so from 2009, it was middle of 2009 um, until the end of 2012. And did she run for re-election again or and what happened? Yeah, she ran for re-election. I worked a bit on her campaign. Um, she... So my mom was a Republican in Bend, which is was Republican at the time, but she was a very moderate Republican. And so she was she was defeated by a much further to the right Republican at the time. And it was a pretty brutal. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was it was brutal. That That's why I took the hiatus that I did. I really I was so disheartened by um, the the. The campaigns, uh, to me, that was the part that's so damaging to the process. And, uh, you know, these, I had worked around all these people on both sides of the aisle and it was very functional at the time. I mean, I had like, you know, we'll touch on this, but I met my husband there who was a Democrat and I was a Republican staffer and it was not the divisive environment that it is today. And you, you, you had friends, you didn't really care what side of the aisle people were on. It, it, there weren't these distinctive teams the way there are now. 
And uh, after that race, I really, um, because elections are nasty and they bring out the worst in people and they create a scenario where, you know, people can just say what they want. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to challenge that you're, they're making things up. That's part of what you do. So I had no desire to continue to work in that. I, I just was so, um, I had just become really dis- disgusted by all of it. And uh, my mom kind of did too. She, she left the Republican party, became an independent. She, she kind of, you know, she did, she went off and did her own thing. She's still pretty involved, but, um, but I think uh, that was really part of the reason that I stepped away. I just was so, and I had aspirations to work in, in marketing and communications for campaigns. Like I really wanted to do that work. I wanted to take my background and expertise in marketing and communications and this, this experience and, um, and really the network, because it's really kind of just knowing the people that are in that, um, that industry. And I really, I had, had high hopes of doing that. And then after that, I thought, I don't want to be one of those campaign people. They're not people I respect, so I'm not going to do it. So, uh, so I stepped away. Let's talk a little bit about your appointment by Governor Kulangoski to the State Task Force on Equality. What year yeah. was that? Okay, I think I want to say 2006. Um, I might have to Google that, but I think that that was the year it was. It was basically um, the legislation, the legislature had um, introduced uh, a couple of different legislative concepts. One was um, to um, do away with discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. And the other one was something that would resemble same-sex marriage. Um, They called it different things, but um, that was really, those were the two legislative concepts that had been defeated. They, they didn't go anywhere um, in the legislative session prior. And I want to say that was 2005. And so the governor had assembled a task force of folks to look closely and study what other states are doing, study what's working, what's not working, how they can, um, really design the legislation so that it gives it the best chance it has in Oregon to pass. Um, and so that, I, I think I was, somebody suggested me from my community. Someone had been um, tapped by the governor's office and said, do you know anybody that would be good to serve on this? And I mean, there was no, I had no connection to that, that legislation, but I think that, um, Somebody just thought that I would be a good, uh, reasonable voice in the room. And, and I think it was helpful that I wasn't an advocate for that cause. I had no, um, you know, I certainly was, was, was receptive to it, but I didn't, I didn't come with an agenda or anything. So I was kind of able to ask a lot of questions and, and, you know, chime in. And so that was, that was a really good learning experience for me. And I will say that the legislation was passed that very next session. So that was a huge, huge, that was, that was a huge thing that I was happy to be part of. Um, it was a big deal, but, but yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of a happenstance how I, I ended up on that task force, but I was happy to be there. So from a policy perspective and what, in regards to leadership, mm-hmm. 
because I ran for city council here in Springfield, I think 2005, 2006, it's been a while. And I had a lot of opinions about certain things. And then I didn't win the election. I was brand new, didn't really know much of anything. It was an enjoyable process. I learned a lot. And then I started getting appointed to different things. And I started learning so much more about how the government worked, what were some of the contingencies, the considerations they had to take into, they had to consider regarding policy. And I began to change in that time frame. Did you change? How did you shift and adapt? Because we're supposed to be a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. And how did you, do you recognize how you may have shifted during that, that time frame? Yeah, huge. Uh, absolutely. I think, I think one of the things my mom used to always say is that it's the people who show up get, to get to make the rules. And I think that I took that to heart and how I've changed in particular with regards to um, civic engagement is that you have to be involved if you want to be at the table and have a voice. And yes, I mean, even just you have to vote if you want to influence the outcome of something. Um, and so for me, I think that the desire to learn more and understand it more and be involved and be at the table and be a voice. Uh, and that's probably why I say yes to every committee or commission or anything that I think that I can put onto my plate um, because I just, I want to be involved. And if you don't know, if, if you're not in the room where the decisions are being made and things are being discussed, because that's a big part of it. You don't, you just don't just come into something, go, well, I already know how I feel. You're there to learn. You're there to, you're, the, you're there to understand and to hear from both sides. And if you're not, if you don't put yourself in the room to be there in the first place, um, you, you don't have the tools that you need to make a decision or to, to have um, much less than a gut feeling about something. So I do think that it's really important. And I, um, I think that civic engagement is a part of who I am. And it's a part of what has really helped me embrace being in Eugene. Because until really until my role with the chamber, when I started to get involved in all kinds of work groups and things like that. And then I just started to apply for things. I said, I want to be on the planning commission. And I actually, it was funny because I was, I was the person at the chamber that was tasked with, with um, finding folks, community leaders within the community that could um, step up and run for office or, uh, you know, apply to be appointed to something or whatever. And so the city had reached out and said, Hey, we need, you know, we need your help. If you guys know of anybody who would be good to serve on the planning commission. And I read about it and I thought, I think I would do this. And so I just told my CEO at the time, I said, just so you know, I'm going to apply for this. So I hope that's okay. And she said, yeah, that would be great. And I, I checked through to make sure it wasn't a conflict or anything else, but that's how it happened. And it really wasn't until I started to get more civically engaged in all those things and, and meet the people and really know my city councilors personally and really know, um, you know, all the inner workings that I felt like, okay, this is my home now because I am, I'm in, I'm committed and I am invested and 
it made a big difference for me. And I think that leaders, people who have aspirations to be leaders, they have to do the work. They have to be willing to step up and volunteer and learn and put themselves in positions where they have the information that they need to make decisions or to influence decisions, whether it's through advocacy or other ways that you can get involved. And um, I think that that's how, that was a huge shift for me in realizing that it's actually pretty easy to get very involved by just raising your hand and like, I'll do it, I'll sit on that and I'll, you know, yeah, I'll volunteer for that. And that's become a big part of who I am in general. I think that, um, I, I did a lot of leadership courses and trainings and things like that. And then there was one in particular that I did in 2006 and uh, maybe it was 2007, but it was a, it was a, it was a boot camp. I mean, this was a four day, you get shipped off to this unknown disclosure. It was, it was actually terrifying, but at the same time, um, I learned more in those four days about myself and it is it is, it was a pivotal time in my life and it has shaped things dramatically ever since. And I think that my biggest takeaways were you can do all of those things you're scared of doing and you just, you will feel better when you do them, you know? And so saying yes to, to the awkward, like, oh, that's going to, that's going to be really uncomfortable. I really don't want to do that. So the, the two things that I do is when those opportunities present themselves and you don't even have to solicit them, the answer is always yes. The answer is yes. And then I always try, I, I volunteer first and I don't always, you know, if there's a in a room full of people and other pe- people want to volunteer, I don't want to stomp on that. I want other people to feel like they can, can do that. But that was the other thing that I learned was that leaders, leaders go first if you want to be a leader, you can't sit back and go, oh, I don't really want to do this. Someone else should go first. You have to be the one that looks around the room and said, nobody else, nobody else is interested. I'll go. And I do that all the time. And it's just second nature now. And, and uh, it does, it's made a huge difference because I think that that's, um, those are things that I was taught that if you want to be a leader, you got to be willing to do that. Makes me think of in the army when the leadership would say, I need a volunteer. They'd come out. I'm in an infantry company, right? So there's probably about 150 of us. First sergeant would come out and say, I need four volunteers. Everybody's hand went up. Didn't matter who, what your, everybody's hand went up. Yeah. You know, it was just part of the culture. Everyone was expected to be participatory. And I appreciate what you said, Tiffany, about going first, getting involved, excuse me, being in the room, putting yourself in a position to be in the room, but you're in the room to learn, you're in the room to do hard work, you're in the room to learn some things you wouldn't otherwise know or understand about whatever the issue is or the area of services. And there's many ways to grow within the skill set of leadership that does not require you to go back to a college setting or otherwise just through the act of volunteerism and having a servant minded uh, desire. Yeah. So you're sitting in a room, you have a chance to talk to a thousand young leaders about what they can do, courses of action, 
how they might begin to design for themselves an opportunity to advance just through serving their local communities. What would be some of those things be that you would say to them? I think that um, finding the things that you're passionate about is a good place to start, right? So I happen to be passionate about housing and uh, economic development and just kind of, you know, bettering the community in those two ways. And, and so for me, the Planning Commission was a really good fit. The Chamber of Commerce was a really good fit. I then really got um, passionate about those things and how they relate to transportation and transit, which is, which is a huge opportunity for me now with LTD. But I would tell people that um, you may not know what it is that, that really um, makes you feel passionate, um, but to, to, to look for those things and to find those. And um, there are so many nonprofit boards, uh, appointed boards, the governor appointed type of boards like our LTD board, um, and they are always looking for people. And it's amazing to me how hard it is for, to fill some of those seats sometimes. And, uh, I'm thinking, gosh, are there, is there nobody out there that, that wants to learn more and be more influential in shaping how we structure our transit system? I, I can't imagine why that's, but I think that people are, people are busy. I get that. Everybody's busy. Um, and it's really kind of what you choose to spend your time with. But I do think that if being, if leadership, how, I think how that ties to personal leadership really is that um, you, when you're, when you put yourself in a place that you are learning and engaging on a topic that matters to you, you really learn a, a lot about yourself. And then you become kind of a leader and an expert in that. And I think all of us want to be good at things. We all want to be find that thing that we're really good at or we, that we really know a lot about. And, um, you know, maybe you have that in your professional role and that's great. And you're kind of just, you're the expert. But I do think that for folks who um, are still struggling to find that wherever it may be, I, I would say, look for those opportunities. Everybody is new when they start, you know, um, it, it's, it's, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you, nobody, nobody, nobody's a pro. Uh, nobody has perfected it. And um, so I think that not to be afraid of being, I was terrified uh, coming onto the planning commission with really no professional background at all in land use. I knew a little bit from the legislative work that I had done, but it's very, very policy heavy and it's very wonky and very, there's a lot of code and and, but, but I know what I would like to see in my community, right? So I know that I would love to be the community that people um, can be creative about development, you know, that they could, a developer can come in and say, we think that this, this use for this, you know, piece of land or this area would be great. And so I know what I see in other communities and think, gosh, that would be really neat to have in Eugene or Springfield or wherever. And um, I know what I, what I see things that I really like and, and places and placemaking and being in places where I, I enjoy being there. And I you maybe can't pinpoint why. Um, and so, so being able to influence those types of evolutionary changes that our community can, can experience is a, a huge thing for me. Um, 
So I think it's a, it's a combination. It's taking your personal experience and your personal passions, finding a place for you to expand on that and, um, and go from there and just say yes, just to put in the time and, and, uh, show up, um, and do the homework and, um, you, you, you begin to grow into somebody who can really be an expert in whatever you want. Just taking notes because what he said is very impactful. <laughs> and you're right. You can become an expert. You can become an expert in these particular areas of interest if you're willing to say yes, put in the time, show up, and do the homework. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about... <clears throat> embracing change you've had a lot of change a lot of different ex exposure to a lot of different areas different uh, geographical areas areas of interest what would you say to this same group of young leaders about the need to embrace change i it's interesting that you say that because for me change has always represented a new opportunity. Um, and while change can be good or bad, I, I have always, I get excited about the opportunity for a change, whether that's, um, moving to a new place or just, I mean, I've never, I've, I've had, you know, certainly we've all had bad experiences where a change just, it was not as great as we thought it was, or, or the, you know, the grass is always greener kind of thing, but I'm one of those people, I'm not one of those people who's afraid of change because I like things too much where I'm at. I always look at change as being uh, opportunity. So whether that's with my jobs, I love change. I love, um, you know, uh, I love getting to the point where I've gotten all I'm gonna get out of something and I'm ready for a new thing. I'm ready for a new change. Um, I think some people just have a hard time with that because it's not, it's, it's, it's the fear of the unknown, but it's also the fear like they, they, they think to them, it represents a loss of something. So change represents losing this in order to replace it with this. Um, and they're just afraid to, to, to go down that path because they're worried I think part of that is because people feel like everything is so permanent and it doesn't need to be. And so I guess for me, I've always felt like no decision I make is the end all be all. This is what I do for the rest of my life. And so, um, in fact, I, I don't make those types of decisions. I mean, maybe intentionally, but to me, uh, every decision I make is, is an opportunity to try something out. And if I don't like it, then um, I would choose to, sorry, I have a dog in the backyard. He <laughs> so stole my sock. <laughs> uh, every, every decision is an opportunity to try something new. And if it doesn't work, there's another decision I get to make later on down the road. It's, it's not a, you know, it's not the permanent thing. I, I use this example because I have this, my mother-in-law who I love dearly is, is one of those people that has such a hard time with change that she is paralyzed in her decision-making. And, you know, everything from changing the color of the walls to the carpet or something else like that. And I sometimes have to remind her if, 
it, this isn't what you have to live with for the rest of your life. And if you don't like it, you can change it. I painted our kitchen four times in the two years that we lived there. And I was like, you know, I think I'm ready for another change. And, um, and, and, you know, and she's like, I haven't painted the, I haven't painted anything for 20 years. I'm scared to do that. And, um, I think some people just have an easier time with it than others. Um, I just have never really been afraid of it. And I, I think that that's because knock on wood, I haven't had a lot of bad experiences. And if I didn't like something, I can change it again. Um, so to me, change is, is, is a, is always been a positive thing and I've always embraced it. And, um, yeah. I think it's really important to acknowledge the reality that change does give us an opportunity to try new things, to become different, to learn new things. And if it doesn't work out, we can pivot. We can yeah. go a different direction. Change again. Yeah. yeah. You said every decision is an opportunity to try something new. And it's not something that you have to live with for the rest of your life. And I really like the idea of that, the enthusiasm of that. Uh, you know, in, in the Army, I spent 11 and a half years in the U.S. Army Infantry. And every two years, we got new leaders. And every two, and at every level, and every basically every two years, two to three years, you were also uh, moved to PCS, Permanent Change of Station. And so you're always, things are very vibrant and robust and... I miss that about military life, the tempo, the speed, the way things worked. And then, uh, you know, I was I had been a pastor for seven years from 2010 to 2017. When, when that season of my life was over, I knew it was over. I was ready to go. And I went to work for an HVAC company as an operations manager. And I was aware at the, after two years, it's, it's time to go. You just know, you just, you're aware, you can feel that what you needed to do was done. It wasn't about you anyway. You, if you left something foundational, it's good for them and you can go. Worked for my wife for a year as her operations manager, helped her sort through some things and I told her, it's time for me to go. I, I, I have no use here. It's time for me to move on to what's next. And so here we are and years of leadership from myself personally, years of training and development and sales and military service and all of those things have also helped me to have that sense of, that's all right, that sense of uh, encouragement. Who's with you there? This is my puppy. He's only he's only about eight months old, so he's still, he's still a puppy. But the only place that he, he will be content for most of the day is here in my office because he is, he is absolutely attached to me. And what's so, his, what's yeah. his name? This is Sawyer. 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 He's a he's a doodle. You know what yep. that is. He's a. There's yep. yeah. this little guy. He's a half Bernadoodle and Aussie Doodle. So he's Bernie's Mountain Dog, Australian Shepherd, and then half of him is a, is Poodle. So here, I'm gonna put him on his little perch. So he should be fine. Is it true that doodles don't shed? Is it really? Yeah. True? Okay. Very true. It's amazing. I. I didn't believe it myself until I witnessed it. And he, I mean, he's got kind of long, we call it man hair because he really, I mean, he doesn't shed. It's crazy. It's the craziest thing, but uh, you know, there's, there's all kinds of issues with the poodle breed. They, they tend to be a little needy. So we've, we've definitely experienced that to be true, especially with COVID. I don't know what's going to happen when I have to go back to work and my husband goes back to work. It's like, this poor dog, he's so he's gotten so spoiled and so used to us being around that 
it's going to be a big adjustment for him. We've talked about a lot of things today. I have your bio with some different points that we've wanted to mention. And it's been very thorough, very comprehensive. It's been very enjoyable to spend this time with you. We've got about 15 minutes left, Tiffany. From your heart, is there anything else you would like to talk about from your bio, from your experiences, from your history you'd like to share with those? This is about women in leadership. It's also yeah. it's about leadership, but it's also about women in leadership. Yeah, I, um, sorry about that. Um, I think the topic of women is a very interesting one that I would like to touch on. Cause I think that, um, you know, I was raised by a very, you know, a very assertive, um, my mom, my mom was raised in a house full of boys and she was raised by a Colonel in the Marines was her dad was very, they were very military family. And so she became one of the boys. She was, she was into football. She was into sports. She did all the things because she was the only girl and she had to, in order to, to play, you know, to, to, to be included. So I was, I was raised not to actually ever make a distinction between myself as a woman and, and men. And it was just kind of one of those things that we, we didn't talk about it because she, the way that she the way that she approached it was that it doesn't exist unless you make it a thing. And so for me, it was really always interesting because I would hear these stories about, you know, a, women feeling oppressed or women feeling like the men are always getting the opportunities. And I, I was naive to, to that because I never felt like I experienced that myself, but I know it's real for a lot of people. And that's something that I've had to overcome and learn and listen because for so many women that it has been a big part of their story where they didn't get the job because of, of being a woman or they didn't get the opportunity or they were treated differently because they were a woman. I have a hard time because I'm not sensitive to it because it doesn't, I, I would genuinely say I never felt like I was um, passed up for something or, or whatever else. And I certainly wouldn't have wanted an opportunity just because I'm a woman. I would have wanted to be the best person for the job. And so balancing those two things has always been kind of a challenge for me because in thinking about how, um, you know, women want to be recognized. They want to be hired for these important high level executive positions, but at the same time, they don't want to be hired because they're the woman. Um, you know, they want to be the best person for the job. And so it's just an interesting thing. And I, I, I'm always open to exploring that more and sharing that that is a part of me. Um, I, I've often related also to, to, you know, just race issues in general. I was raised in a very, very non-diverse community. And while a lot of people would think that that's, that's terrible, you had no experience with diversity as a kid, it didn't create biases for me as a kid either. And so when I went off to college and I had friends that were bilingual and bicultural and everything else, to me, it was just like, well, this is what you do when you, when you spread your wings and you open up yourself up to the rest of the world that is different than Bend, Oregon. Um, I never, I, I will genuinely say that I don't feel like I developed biases because they were never introduced to me. 
Um, and so between, you know, that is the way I've looked at being a woman and, and as well as, as being a white woman, um, I don't have, I, I, I don't, I would, I could honestly say that I, um, those are not my personal experiences. However, I know that that is just me, that that is very real for other people and to be sensitive to that. Um, and I think that if that is a part of someone's story, I, I think it's really important to explore that and really a, a, important to communicate that. And I think that this, this time in our, in our evolution, in our history is really uh, pivotal. And I think it's a critical, I mean, we're, we have so many great things happening. We have um, just, we're, we're setting new precedences and breaking glass ceilings. And I just, I'm so excited by it. Um, and I want it to just be the norm. I just want it to be normal to have a, a, a woman vice president. Like what's the big deal about that? I want it to be normal to just have, have had a, a black president. I, I love that we're, that we're moving into that place. Um, and I think that if I was a, a person that was really saw myself as a, as a true minority and saw and had experienced those, um, those oppressive moments that I would, I would want to hear from somebody maybe who hasn't, or who wants to cultivate more diversity in our community to go for it. Um, don't let that be the thing that, that in your past that you feel is holding you back. Um, because there are so many other people that want to see, that want to see that change. And, um, I, I would just hope that, you know, people and women in particular that feel that they have, um, not had those opportunities. There's a lot of people that want to give them to us. I remind, I've said this in, in, I don't know, in, in circumstances where I've, I've had the opportunity, it was women, it was men who gave women the right to vote. And it was white men who gave black men the right, you know, the, the, that freed our slaves. I mean, it wasn't, it was always other, um, it was always the, the more norm groups. I mean, it was the more um, culturally, I guess, less diverse or, or mainstream, whatever you want to call it. It was, they were the, 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 they were the majority. It was always the majority that gave the minority the opportunities. And so um, I think that, I think that there are a lot of opportunities out there and a lot of people that want to open the doors and roll out the red carpet for people who want to become leaders and take leadership roles. And I'm certainly one of them. I, I, when I was working with the chamber and I had the opportunity to work in the leadership Eugene Springfield program, I just loved seeing um, those those young people for the most part. I mean, some of them were, were just new to the community, but I just love seeing them learn about these things in our community that are happening and want to know more and want to get involved. And I just, I absolutely love that because I think that um, there are, there is a room for lots of leaders. Um, there's always room for more. And, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a big passion of mine and I'm really supportive of cultivating women leaders, any kind of leaders. It's really good. And, is there anything you'd like to say about your family? Anything you'd like to mention? Family, my family is my, my absolute, um, gosh, I mean, they're my, my rock. Um, my, 
my husband um, is, you know, I, we've been married five years now and um, he's absolutely amazing. He's super supportive. Um, he's, he, you know, he's, he's such a great dad with his kids and it's just, it's really, he's a, he's an amazing support system. And I think that that's the other piece that I feel very fortunate to have somebody in my life, both my parents, my husband, my sister that are really, um, supportive. And I think that if, if you're in a position where you're not finding that, I think that, um, you need to, people should seek that because you want to surround yourself with the people that want to, to lift you up. And I've just been really fortunate that my husband is my, my biggest fan and he, he's always celebrates my successes and, um, we do that for each other. And I think that it's really important. Um, yeah, I can't say enough amazing things about my, my family. You know, my wife, oh, speaking of, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. popped in to take care of the dog for me. <laughs> yeah, my wife mentioned that yesterday, almost those exact same words. You have to be around people that support you and lift you up, or it's not going to be possible to have success, especially for women. And 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 I would agree with that. I remember when my dad retired from at mil, from the Air Force after um, two wars and multiple tours of combat. He stayed home for he stayed home at first because my our mom she raised seven kids while he was off, you know, fighting wars and doing the things that he did, and she went to work. She went to work in a in a factory sewing clothes. And he stayed home for, I, I don't remember how long it was now because I was a child at the time, but I watched him sweep and mop and cook and hang the laundry. And and we would be so loud. <laughs> Those seven kids, we would get so loud, especially in the summer that he would, he was a golfer. He could golf. So he, we had an acre for a yard and then we had, uh, this was in Texas, in a big field with cows and horses that belonged to Mr. Seidel. And so oh, my wow. dad, yeah, so my dad was like, I can't be with all these kids. So he was creative, you know. He pulled out his golf clubs and he started just hitting balls as far as he could <laughs> hit them out into the field. And after he hit about 50 balls, he'd send us out to chase after them to go find them in the heat when it was hot. After a couple of times of doing that, we were like just all ready to go to sleep. Oh, yeah, but I appreciated that example of having a father who uh, was, was willing to do that, was willing to cook yeah. and clean and sweep. And I'd watch him with his apron as he cooked menudo and deer meat and all the things that he did. Uh, so our mother could have an opportunity to, to do something a little different. So I would agree with you that that's very important. And, and in closing, uh, Tiffany, You've said a lot of really wonderful things here today, and it's really made me consider, are those the kind of messages that are being communicated enough by leaders and communities that are calling to the future, calling to our neighbors, calling to our community members, come, participate, we need you, we want you, there's room for you at the table, come and sit, spend time with us, uh, we want to impart to you what's necessary for you to move to move forward. What would you say to existing leaders about their role to make sure that they are making and extending those invitations beyond a website post? Mm -hmm. Besides beyond putting it, oh, well, we put it on our website. I hear that all the time. That's, yeah, it's not it's not enough. 
I mean, I think that that's, I have a bias when it comes to, I don't think that just because you got elected to an office makes you a good leader. And I think that um, there are definitely, you know, I can say this because I, I have two very dear loved ones that are elected officials, um, my husband and my mom, and there is definitely a piece of ego. Some, some For some, it's a lot bigger than for others, but they would both agree with me that there's definitely a, a piece of the type of person that runs for office that wants to be somebody. Uh, I think we all inherently want to be somebody, but I think that I think good leaders have to be willing to share the um, share the spotlight, I guess, or or even shy away from the spotlight. And so, to me, I like there are some people that I really admire because of their humble approach to leadership and the way that they. What makes them a leader is being followed. And if nobody follows you, are you really a leader? And so I think that it is on their it is on their shoulders to get people to follow them, to get bring up other leaders and help engage uh, young people and help engage other members of the community in the work that they are doing um, in order to make it better. And because I think that that's just a, a fundamental quality that must be there in order for somebody to really call themselves a leader. You got to be followed. Uh, and you kind of also has to be first in order to be followed, right? You can't show up at the end of it. You can't show up late if you're, um, this is a, an interesting uh, exercise I had to do once for a leadership um, boot camp. Uh, had to stand up and in, in, in a 60 second speech had to explain what how punctuality is important to leadership. And all I could think of was, if you're not on time, you know, whether it's the, a race, I mean, I compared it to a race. If you're, if there's a race and you are there late, you can't possibly win the race. So how can you be the leader? And so, you know, when you take that analogy and you apply it to other things that are not as, you know, as easy to, to, to apply to apply in that sense, it's, it's kind of the same thing. You can't be a leader if you're not there, if you're not leading people and you're not uh, participating and all of those other things. So um, I do think that that is, uh, that is a, that is a part of the job that comes with the territory. If you're going to call yourself a leader and you don't want to step up and do that, you have to be willing to bring people along with you and share in the journey, because that's what, that's, you know, that's what makes you a strong leader. Very good. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, we've had with us today, Tiffany Edwards. I'm going to look at her bio because I don't want to get her title wrong. She is the Intergovernmental Relations Manager with Lane Transit District. Uh, Tiffany, thank you for today. It was very eye-opening, uh, great expansive history, completely thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, uh, the highlights of your leadership journey. And I'm hopeful that you will continue to have a voice that speaks out and encourages other leaders to share in the journey, invite people to the table, and help others to come along to learn and grow. So we thank you for your time. We wish you the best. Happy New Year to you and your family and to Sawyer. <laughs> we appreciate his, um, his guest. His cameo. His cameo. Thank you, Mark. It was my pleasure. Very good. Have a good day. You too.